0: Greetings, friends. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. My name is David McAdam, and it is great to have you with us today in our Bible reading community. We have been making progress together as we are scaling the prophetic peaks of the Old Testament and fording the rivers of reason in the book of Hebrews as the author proves how the person and work of Jesus Christ offers a better priesthood with a better sacrifice, a better covenant, and better promises than that which is offered in the foreshadowing figures of the Old Testament Judaism, the angels Moses, Joshua, and Aaron. In fact, we see Jesus on the highest peak described as one with an eternal priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Just what this means is being spelled out in this magnificent epistle to the Hebrews. The ministry of the prophets were very difficult as they delivered direct messages to God's covenant people who did not have hearing hearts. We have seen how the word of the Lord was rejected outright by the kings of Judah, the leaders in Jerusalem, the priests, and even the exiles. Ezekiel acted out God's message with intriguing solo dramas in hopes of provoking repentance. Yesterday he resorted to storytelling. He speaks a parable, a love story, in which God rescues a daughter of idolaters and lavishes love upon her, even betrothing her to himself. Yet she proves to be the most unfaithful of spouses, practicing serial adulteries and adopting a lifestyle of a prostitute. We will hear of another convicting parable today of two eagles and a vine, yet in the midst of these parables of unfaithfulness, we have further disclosure of God's love as a righteous and merciful covenant partner. So let's get started where we left off yesterday in Ezekiel chapter 16, and we are beginning in verse 42. So I will satisfy my wrath on you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be calm and will no more be angry. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me with all these things, therefore, behold, I have returned your deeds upon your head, declares the Lord God. Have you not committed lewdness in addition to all your abominations? Behold, every one who uses Proverbs will use this proverb about you, like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother, who loathed her husband and her children. And you are the sister of your sisters, who loathed their husbands and their children. Your mother was a Hittite, and your father an Amorite. And your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister, who lived to the south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Not only did you walk in their ways, and do according to their abominations, within a very little time you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Samaria has not committed half your sins. You have committed more abominations than they and have made your sisters appear righteous by all the abominations that you have committed. Bear your disgrace, you also, for you have intervened on behalf of your sisters. Because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they, they are more in the right than you. So be ashamed, you also, and bear your disgrace, for you have made your sisters appear righteous." I will restore their fortunes, both the fortunes of Sodom and her daughters, and the fortunes of Samaria and her daughters, and I will restore your own fortunes in their midst, that you may bear your disgrace and be ashamed of all that you have done, becoming a consolation to them. as for your sisters, Sodom and her daughters shall return to their former state, and Samaria and her daughters shall return to their former state, and you and your daughters shall return to your former state. Was not your sister Sodom a byword in your mouth in the day of your pride, before your wickedness was uncovered? Now you have become an object of reproach for the daughters of Syria and all those around her, and for the daughters of the Philistines, those all around who despise you. You bear the penalty of your lewdness and your abominations, declares the Lord. The Lord's Everlasting Covenant For thus says the Lord God, I will deal with you as you have done you who have despised the oath in breaking the covenant. Yet I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish for you an everlasting covenant. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you take your sisters, both your elder and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not on account of the covenant with you. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am the Lord." that you may remember and be confounded, and never open your mouth again because of your shame, when I atone for you all that you have done, declares the Lord God. Chapter 17 Parable of Two Eagles and a Vine The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, propound a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel. Say, Thus says the Lord God, A great eagle, with great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. He broke off the topmost of its young twigs and carried it to a land of trade and set it in a city of merchants. Then he took of the seed of the land and planted it in fertile soil. He placed it beside abundant waters. He set it like a willow twig, and it sprouted and became a low spreading vine, and its branches turned toward him and its roots remained where it stood; so it became a vine, and produced branches, and put out boughs. And there was another great eagle, with great wings and much plumage. And behold, this vine bent its roots toward him, and shot forth its branches toward him from the bed where it was planted, that he might water it. It had been planted on good soil by abundant waters, that it might produce branches, and bear fruit, and become a noble vine say thus says the lord will it thrive will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit so that it withers so that all its fresh sprouting leaves wither it will not take a strong arm or many people to pull it from its roots behold it is planted will it thrive will it not utterly wither when the east wind strikes it wither away on the bed where it sprouted then the word of the lord came to me say now to the rebellious house Do you not know what these things mean? Tell them, behold, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and took her king and her princes and brought them to him to Babylon. And he took one of the royal offspring and made a covenant with him, putting him under oath, the chief men of the land he had taken away, that the kingdom might be humble and not lift itself up and keep his covenant that it might stand. But he rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt, that they might give him horses and a large army. Will he thrive? Can one escape who does such things? Can he break the covenant and yet escape? As I live, declares the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwells who made him king, whose oath he despised, and whose covenant with him he broke, in Babylon he shall die. Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company will not help him in war, when mounds are cast up and siege walls built to cut off many lives. He despised the oath in breaking the covenant, and, behold, he gave his hand and did all these things. He shall not escape. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, As I live, surely it is my oath that he despised and my covenant that he broke. I will return it upon his head. I will spread my net over him, and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, and enter into judgment with him there, for the treachery he has committed against me. And all the pick of his troops shall fall by the sword, and their survivors shall be scattered to every wind, and you shall know that I am the Lord, I have spoken. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord." I bring low the high tree, and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament passage from the book of Ezekiel. We are in the middle of the prophetic love parable that Ezekiel was told by God to speak to Jerusalem. Ezekiel is following the Lord's command to confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 2. This time, he is told to speak a parable. As far as we know, no dramatic action or scenery was required. It is a love story in four acts. The parable illustrates the underlying reason for God's impending judgment upon the city of Jerusalem. Israel, the covenant bride of Yahweh, has rejected His love and gone after other lovers, that is idols, even to the point of soliciting them. He sets forth the conduct of the entire nation in the light of the love of God. The parable can be outlined this way. Act 1. Love Lavished. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 1-14. through 14, The Tale of Extravagant Grace. A king, a depiction of the Lord God, rescues a child born of an Amorite father and Hittite mother, who has been abandoned at birth. He rescued the newborn child, who had not yet been cleansed from the blood that covered her at birth, or severed from the umbilical cord that wrapped around her. She was thrown out into an open field and abandoned. The king has compassion on the child and says to her, Live! She grows into a beautiful woman. When she comes of age, he marries her, entering a sacred covenant relationship. Act Two, Love scorned. Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 15 through 34 A tale of callous betrayal. The queen betrays the king with her infidelity. She pursues a life of prostitution. She is so amorous that she pays her lovers. Act three. Love lost. Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 35 through 52 A tale of dark disgrace. The queen, now turned prostitute, is publicly humiliated and judged as an adulteress her story would become a proverb like mother like daughter as her behavior did not reflect the glory of her husband but the idolatry of her ancestors the hittites and amorites who transmitted their wickedness to sodom samaria referring to the northern kingdom and jerusalem referring to the southern kingdom jerusalem had become the daughter of Samaria. Together they became harlots like the nations that surrounded her, and together they would be punished. Judah's sins were so hideous that her conduct made Sodom and Samaria appear righteous by comparison. Act four: Love's Last Surprise. Ezekiel chapter sixteen, verses fifty three through fifty six: A tale of scandalous mercy. Sodom and Samaria were bywords for evil and yet God promises to restore them. The irony is that Judah had now become a byword to its pagan neighbors. In verses 56 and 57, God pledges to restore Judah and her sisters Sodom and Samaria. So I will establish my covenant with you, and you will know that I am the Lord. Then, when I make atonement for you, for all you have done, You will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the Sovereign Lord. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 62 and 63. In chapter 17, the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel again. This time, the Lord gives Ezekiel the parable about a great eagle, Nebuchadnezzar, who had powerful wings, that is armies, and plumage, an impressive kingdom. It was taking hold of a cedar tree, Judah, and breaking off the top of it, representing Judah's king Jehoiakim and the nobles. It carried the top branch to a land of merchants, that is Babylon. It also takes some of the seed of the land, Jehoiakim's cousin Zedekiah, and puts it in fertile soil. Nebuchadnezzar makes Jehoiachin's cousin his vassal as king of Judah. The seed, that is Zedekiah, grows into a lowly vine rather than a mighty cedar. The vine flourishes as long as it is subject to the eagle. However, there is another eagle with powerful wings and impressive plumage. Egypt, in Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 7. The vine stretches forth its branches to him for water. Will it thrive? No. The Lord predicts that it will be uprooted and stripped of its fruit so that it withers. The stretching forth of the vine to get water from the second eagle is a picture of Zedekiah rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar and sending forth his envoys to Egypt to get help in his stand against the Babylonians. This rebellion will fail and Zedekiah will die in Babylon. All these events are part of God's net that He is spreading to catch His people who have broken His covenant and bring them to judgment in Babylon. But the parable does not end there. A happy ending is predicted a remnant of God's people will be restored and furthermore they will be planted on a much higher elevation a lofty mountain representing the kingdom of the Messiah this tree will flourish and provide shelter for birds of all kinds every nation in Ezekiel chapter 17 verse 22 thus says the Lord God I will also take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and set it out I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. And then in verse 24, all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the high tree, exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will perform it. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 8, and we will read from verse 1 to verse 13. Hebrews chapter 8, Jesus, High Priest of a Better Covenant Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament portion from the book of Hebrews. The writer of hebrews is bringing together the major promises of the old testament pertaining to the coming messiah as a royal high priest after the order of melchizedek and the promise of a new covenant these are promises of a better priesthood and a better covenant based on a better sacrifice we have seen how jesus fulfills the prophecies of the messiah the promise of a greater son of david who will reign as both king and priest as recorded in Psalm 110 verses 1 through 4, and that this royal priest would have a better priesthood than that of Aaron. It would be an unalterable, indestructible, indissoluble, unfailing priesthood, guaranteed with the reinforcement of a divine oath and lasting forever. And his offering would be all-sufficient. It was a once-and-for-all sacrifice, Hebrews chapter 8 begins with a picture of the throne room of heaven with this royal priest seated at the right hand of God. This divine reality of the perfect rule of God, the throne, and the perfect mediation of Christ as the perfect high priest is being communicated in human language with terms we can understand. When human characteristics are used linguistically to help us apprehend something of God, it is called an anthropomorphism. Jesus at the right hand of the Majesty on High is an anthropomorphic picture of the place of highest honor. The expression right hand has come to mean trusted or given prominence, although there are a great many in the human population who give the left hand prominence. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is exalted with honor to the right hand of God because he perfectly accomplishes the work of satisfying the demands of God's holy justice on behalf of the penitent believer. We see how the earthly tabernacle in the wilderness was built according to the pattern God gave to Moses. In Exodus chapter 25 verse 9 and verse 40, in First Chronicles chapter 28 verse 19, This is because the tabernacle is a prophetic picture of the reality of the redemption that would be accomplished by the royal priest to come, Jesus the Messiah, the Christ. Now in verse 6, the writer shows how the ministry of this perfect royal priest fulfills the promises of the new covenant. He will take this up in chapter 10 in a big way. This covenant has a superior priestly service, superior mediator, and superior promises. The writer makes the logical point, why would God give the promise of a new covenant in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, if the sacrifices of the old covenant were in themselves sufficient to reconcile sinners to Himself? The implication is that the first covenant is not adequate in itself. It is just a shadow, or a pattern prefiguring what was needed and what was to come. The inadequacy of the first covenant was not in its promises. Its inadequacy was that it could not empower the people to keep the promises. The law was not the problem, it revealed the problem. Man's sinfulness is the problem. Israel did not remain faithful to the covenant. Romans chapter 7 verse 12 says, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. In Romans 7 verse 16, Whereas Israel failed, Jesus succeeded, and he did so on our behalf, and he will continue to do so on our behalf if we abide, that is if we rest our faith in him. The new covenant promises from Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 are quoted here in Hebrews chapter 8 verses 8 through 12 and again in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 15 through 17. In the latter case it is interesting to note that the giving of this new covenant promise is attributed to the holy spirit in other words the holy spirit is god hebrews chapter 10 verses 15 through 17 read and the holy spirit also testifies to us for after saying this is the covenant that i will make with them after those days says the lord i will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind i will write them he then says, "And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more." In the new covenant, the lawgiver becomes the lawkeeper, ruling the heart of the believer. The Holy Spirit mediates the truth and life of Christ to the believer. Notice the better promises. Number 1, "I will put my laws upon their heart." That which was a command in the first covenant, "Thou shalt and thou shalt not," becomes a promise, "Thou shalt, thou shalt not." because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is transforming your heart and conforming you to the image of Christ by His power. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Number two, I will be their God, and they will be my people. He promises a personal relationship in which we belong to Him. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Number three, all will know me. An intuitive knowledge of God, not just knowledge about God, will be imparted to all people from every walk of life and all nations, neighbors as well as brothers, through the indwelling Holy Spirit who illuminates the Word of God to our understanding. Number four, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. The reconciliation will be based upon the perfect propitiation of Christ's offering on the cross, in which the wrath of God was removed from the sinner and the righteousness of God was imputed to him in Christ Jesus. Now it's time to move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms, and we're reading Psalm 106, verses 13 through 31. Psalm 106, verse 13. But they soon forgot his works, they did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness, and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan, and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company, the flame burned up the wicked they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Saviour, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore He said He would destroy them had not Moses His Chosen One stood in the breach before Him to turn away His wrath from destroying them." Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in His promise. They murmured in their tents, and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore He raised His hand and swore to them that He would make them fall in the wilderness, and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to the dead, They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out before them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. Let's take a few moments to reflect upon this reading. God's holiness is vindicated as the psalmist recounts the history of Israel and the various means through which God disciplined His people as they went astray. Notice the repetition of the phrase, they forgot, in Psalm 106, verse 13 and 21. After they forgot, they despised God's gifts, in verse 24. They grumbled, in verse 25, and they yoked themselves to idols, in verse 28. They provoked the Lord to anger, resulting in a plague, but Phineas stood up, aligning himself with the Lord by faith, and stopped the plague. Psalm 106, verse 31, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness to all generations forever. We often think of Abraham in regard to this promise. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, verse 6. But this heritage of justification is given to all who believe God's self-revelation, giving evidence of their faith in him by their obedience to him through faith, Abel obtained the testimony that he was righteous, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Noah, Abraham, even his nephew Lot, are explicitly declared righteous, in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7, because they believed God's promise. What about you? Have you obtained the testimony that God has counted you righteous, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30? Now we go to our final stop in our Bible reading, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 27, verses 7 and 9. One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A person who has had their natural desires fully satisfied easily gets bored with what once brought pleasure, even to the point of loathing. However, a person who recognizes their genuine need appreciates whatever will bring nourishment to the body or soul, bitter or sweet. A bird who wanders from her nest loses her place in the scheme of things. The same is true if a person neglects their domestic responsibilities. Oil and perfume can personally lift a person from the effect of the natural fatigue and sweat of life under the sun, Likewise, a friend's counsel can bring sweetness to one's life by consistently providing encouragement and wisdom. Now let's pray in the light of what we have been reading. Lord God, if you should mark our transgressions, none of us could stand. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying our sin debt in full, that your righteousness would be satisfied and your wrath turned away. Help us to realize the enormity of your grace and be quick to forgive as fully as we have been forgiven. Thank you for your indwelling presence, Christ within as our hope of glory. May we freely give as we have freely received. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes today's track, and we pray that no matter what your day looks like, you would be encouraged knowing that you have an intercessor at the right hand of God, whoever lives to make intercession for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. If you have any questions or comments or would like to be in touch with us, you can always write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like a written copy of the commentary on each day's reading, you can subscribe by going to our website, newlife.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Shalom.